good morning. I think it's interesting that you have a person named Rico Tice uh, preaching at night and a, and a Rico Tyson preaching in the morning. And what are the chances of that? Uh, I spent uh, 24, hour, uh, 24 years as pastor of Calvary Presbyterian Church in Willow Grove, and in April of uh, 2016, uh, I retired. But since that time, Beth Ann and I have been uh, helping out in uh, uh, Northeast Community Church in Philadelphia, uh, an international uh, church, a mission church that we are glad to be a part of, and I, but I thank you for the opportunities that I have been given to preach here today uh, and uh, other weeks. Uh, could we turn, please, to the Gospel of God in, the, in one of the Psalms of, of David, uh, Psalm 8, it's page 450 in your Blue Bible, or you could follow along in the bulletin. Hear the word of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. May we understand the words that have been given to us through direct divine revelation. May we apply them to our hearts. Would you comfort us where we need comfort? Would you convict us where we need conviction? May we count it a joy and delight to be considered your children through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many great questions posed in the Bible. One of my favorites is, uh, who can separate us from the love of God? It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And of course, the answer is nobody. The book of Psalms is a book full of questions. And when you come to a question, it makes you stop and think. The Psalms ask these questions. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's a good question. Who's fit for heaven? Or this question, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
Can you put your finger on the problem? In Psalm 2, the first question asked in, in the book, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Why does the unbelieving world think that it can take a stand against the sovereign purposes of God? Or how about this one? Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pastor? pasture? And this one, why do you hide your face from me? Have you ever wondered, sometimes, God, are, are you there? And many times, the answer follows the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and, and a pure heart. He may come into the presence of God. Or this one, Lord, if you kept the record of sins, who could stand? The answer, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I love this other question, what shall I give to the Lord for all he has done for me? And the answer is not about what you can give, but about what more you can take. I'll take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Our text in Psalm 8 asks another great question. What is man that you are mindful of him? And this question comes with an understanding of his relationship with God. You see, this is not the question of the agnostic or the atheist, for they would simply stop with what is man, question mark. How do I explain my existence? This is the question of, of the believer. What is man that you, God, are mindful of him? Why do you care? So the answer to the question, what is man, assumes God's existence. So the question, what is man, assumes another question, who is God? The psalmist, you see, begins uh, with the majesty of God and moves to a discussion about mankind and his dominion over the animals and then returns to the glory and majesty of God. We cannot answer the question the psalmist poses without looking up. If we remove God from the universe and from our life, the question merely becomes, what is man? Who am I? Why am I here? Without God as a starting point, there is no satisfying answer to the question. If we do not look to God for significance, we look down to the animals. And if we are just a highly evolved animal, we are not left with very much. Cole Smith, a man who was a writer for the Chuck Colson Center for Worldview, wrote an article that I just read the other day called The Temple of Fido. Think about that. Worshiping animals. There are animal advocacy groups that have adopted a new manifesto. Here's a part of it. We believe in the evolutionary and moral kinship of all animals and we declare our belief that all sentient creatures have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, by the way, if you have a pet, that's great. I, I love pets, too. Um, 
but this is going to an extreme. They want to eliminate the word pet from our vocabulary and use the phrase animal companion. There's a new word that's in use along with racism and sexism. It's the word speciesism, defined as discrimination against the animal species by human beings based on the assumption of mankind's superiority. Well, that's exactly what the psalmist is telling us, that there is human superiority over the animals. Did you know that over $90 billion of American money has gone to pet care and $20 million has gone to foster care? $20 billion? What a difference. And, and with that $90 billion comes uh, plastic surgery for, for your pets and uh, um, healthy organic food for your pets. Are we getting a little crazy? because we're looking down to the animals and we've forgotten to look up to God. So David, the psalmist, writes a song to sing, and writing under the inspiration of God, David makes sense out of this life. He plays this hymn upon the Giddish. Now, I don't know whether that's a musical instrument or whether it's a tune. The word Giddish means uh, wine press. So it could be to the tune of the wine press, which, uh, press, which I think might be a happy kind of a dancing tune. And this song that he writes has four main stanzas. The first stanza is that God's majesty is revealed in the worship of his church. David begins and ends with praise to the mighty name of God. His name is his character. And how does he describe him? O Lord, our Lord, can be translated, O Jehovah, our Adonai. There are two names for God. There's the covenant-keeping name of God, Jehovah, first uttered to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. I am. It is his most holy name. He is the God of Psalm 113. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks down on the heavens and the earth? Adonai, the second name, speaks of his sovereign rule. God, you are the God of majesty. You are the king who is to be worshipped. Your throne, O oh God, is above the heavens and you rule with absolute authority. He is the God of majesty the God of glory. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is all pure. He is beautiful, immense. He is ultimate reality. Above the heavens is his place of rule. Even the universe cannot contain him. He is above and beyond that which he has created. And yet this God, Jehovah Adonai, is our God. We're not lost as an infinitesimal speck in this universe. We are each accountable to him, but we are not alone. We are called as a church to celebrate his greatness and to sing of his fame. He is our God. We declare to each other and to a watching world, this is our God. He is the only God. Any other rival is no God. Who is a God like ours after all? 
proclaim him as God and to worship him as such involves the entire family of God. There's something grand and glorious going on when God's people join together as we did in our worship today. What a treat, what a blessing. And we say to God, your majesty. We fought the Revolutionary War so that we would not have to say that name to any earthly potentate. Um, My wife and I love to watch Victoria. Her name, when in her presence, was uh, Your Majesty. But we say that to no human. We say it to our great God. He is the majestic king. And so that's where David starts with his, that's the first verse uh, of his psalm, to the praise of our great God. But the second verse is God's victory revealed to us in the witness of the children. How neat is that? Look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Notice that the glory and majesty of God is revealed to us in the climate of warfare, right? There are foes, there are enemies, there are avengers. These foes are mentioned all through the Psalms. In fact, a few weeks ago I preached on Psalm 1, now I'm preaching on Psalm 8. And between Psalm 1 and Psalm 8, we've got all these mention, uh, all this mention of, of enemies. In Psalm 2, the, the nations are raging and the peoples are plotting against God. David will not be afraid of those who have set themselves against him all around, Psalm 3. In, in Psalm 5, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. In Psalm 7, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. There is a cosmic battle for the souls of men. And we know it. In the introduction to one of the Star Wars movies, it begins with the battle in space. And there are airships shooting and exploding. And there are planets that are blowing up. And there's chaos throughout the empire. And uh, the camera then pans away from outer space and begins to zoom down and finds planet Earth and zooms down on planet Earth and goes through the clouds and goes to a small town somewhere in the USA and zooms down further to the top of a convertible with the roof open. And there's a boy and a girl in the convertible and they're looking up into heaven and the girl says, it's so peaceful up there. You see the point? Do we realize the cosmic battle a world of chaos and confusion because of sin, and we have contributed to it. There is evil around us, there is evil within us, yet the psalmist says it's all going to be stilled. But notice how he describes the stilling of the enemy. He does not point us to the heavenly army and the display of angelic shock and all. We see that in the book of Revelation, but here it is through the weak and the small. The praise of God is on the lips of angels. The praise of God is on the lips of his, of, his, of his church. But here the voice of God, the praise of God, is, on, is sung by, by the children, by the cries of infants. 
in Matthew 21. The enemies of Jesus try to stop him from doing his miracles. And they ask Jesus to stop the children from singing his praises. And Jesus says, let me remind you of Psalm 8. Did you not get past Psalm 7? And he cites this psalm out of the mouth of babes and, and, and nursing infants. You have established strength. And Jesus defends the children. The smallest among us, the weakest among us, are instruments of praise. And whenever you hear a child cry, it ought to remind you that God is going to one day still all of his enemies through the weakness of his people. The early church took seriously the value of children. The babies that were discarded were gathered up from the trash heaps and given homes and given love. These children left to die would later stand in the assembly of the New Testament church and sing the praises of Jesus. Does this ever speak to today when millions of abortions are performed in this country? How can we as a nation claim to love our children yet destroy them before they come out of the womb because they are not wanted? Does God notice? Does God care? How can God bless this land if abortion continues? We should be lamenting what is happening. We, we love our children. And we believe that the tears of the children will not go unheeded. Jesus will come. And the voice of the martyrs and the cries of the children will tear down the stronghold of the enemy one day. And so David reminds us that God wins. The third stanza, David says that God's glory is revealed in the wonder of creation. Verses 3 through 8. God's praise on the lips of angels, God's praises on the lips of his church, God's praises out of the mouth of infants. God speaking to us through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of, of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. David wrote long before Kepler began to make sense out of space. He observed the sky with the naked eye long before the Hubble satellite or telescope could reveal to us the size and distance across the galaxy. He wrote long before satellites could send us back pictures of asteroids. He did not know about sunspots or black holes or that the orbit of Pluto made only one lap around the sun in 242 years. And by the way, that's interesting because our nation has been around for 242 years. In other words, the, uh, the orbit of Pluto was in one place when we signed the Declaration of Independence, and today it's in exactly the same spot, only one lap around the sun, where Earth does it once every year. He did not know that you could fit a thousand suns into an average-sized star. Look at the vastness of the heavens where miles are measured in light years, and it is all finger play to God. The creation of the stars is like flicking wet paint onto the canvas. He holds the stars in his hand like drops of water. He knows them all by name. 
To say that it all happened by chance through some great big bang is to claim a greater miracle than what the enemies of God are trying to refute. Does the beauty and wonder of God's creation not lead you to praise him? The sunset, the crashing waves, and I long for another trip to the shore now that winter is over. The chirping of the birds, the majestic mountains, the cherry blossoms, the dogwood trees, and the daffodils pressing through the earth, it all declares their maker's praise. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. It is in the rustling grass that I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. And David must have written this at night because he mentions the stars and the moon. There's no mention here of the sun. You've got to go somewhere else to read about the sun rising like a bridegroom from his chambers to cross the horizon. He sees what many of us never see clearly unless we get away from the city lights. And it's in this context that he mentions us. In the vastness of the universe, do I count? How is it that you think of me? And the word David uses is a different word than is usually used for man. What is mankind? It is singular. Who are we as a group of people? It conveys frailty. This transcendent God comes down. He comes close. He cares for me. The word man, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that word man, is plural, is singular. So he not only sees the forest, he sees each and every tree. He cares about mankind, and he cares about you. I am in his mind as a heart. And so the creation of man reminds David of the great value placed upon us when God breathed into us the, the breath of life. We are a work of art. We are made in his image. He placed us in the womb. He saw our unformed body. The, the womb is God's art studio where we were created in that secret place. We were made lower than the angels but above the creatures. We were made to rule over the earth and have dominion. We were given crowns of authority in this, in this world. Now, I think the first three chapters of Genesis may have run through David's mind as he wrote this. We lost the created splendor given to us as lofty creatures of God. We have to answer to God one day for how we have ruled and cared for this earth. We have not brought about the submission we have been given to achieve. In fact, it almost seems the other way around, doesn't it? Because we have, because we have abandoned God and are looking down to the, to the animals. It, it almost seems as if creation itself is ruling over us and that we are in submission to, to it. How can we stop the, the measles and the tsunamis and, and the forest fires? It, it almost seems like, like creation itself is rising up to destroy us. And that's our job, to subdue the creation. Here is what the psalm, here's where the psalm takes a turn. For there's another emphasis to the psalms. Like many of the psalms, there is a messianic fulfillment. 
And that which was given to man is completed in the one man, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank Rex for his wonderful explanation of this before the, before the scripture reading. Thank you, Rex. You saved a couple of minutes of my time and your time. Don't miss this. Our value is seen as creatures of God, but that is not the end of the story. Because the book of Hebrews reveals the glory of Jesus Christ and his saving work as the fulfillment of Psalm 8. So we look to Hebrews 2, and it's Jesus Christ who was greater than the angels, who was made a little lower than the heavenly beings. In his incarnation, he left the glories of heaven and came down. And a little lower can mean either positionally placed under, or it can be speaking of time for a little while. And that is how the New Testament writer chooses to interpret this. For a little while, he was placed under the angels. In a state of humiliation, he was limited as a human being. And he came down and he, was di he died, a crucifixion for us and for, our, for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was buried. But then God raised him up and exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess under heaven. So you see the name of God, the name that is excellent in all the earth, is shared by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 1 is repeated in the last verse. It bears repeating, for the Lord Jesus Christ carries that same excellent name. And the psalmist says again to close out the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Jesus, our Savior, fulfills the psalm. And that's the conclusion of the psalm. The song of Jehovah. The song to Adonai in verse 1 is now sung to Jesus. Well, there's no significance in this psalm apart from looking to God as our creator and to the Lord Jesus Christ as our redeemer and savior and exalted Lord. Now, let me give you four words to take with you, all right? If you've been listening and you've started to nod off, pay attention right here. Get your pen out. These are the words you can write down. Here's the conclusion of the psalm. First word is wonder. Can you read this psalm and not wonder? A few weeks ago I was preaching from 1 John chapter 3. Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. It's a sense of wonder. How can he do this to us? How can he love us like this? David had that sense of wonder when, when, when he wanted to build the temple for the Lord and, and the Lord through Nathan the prophet said, it's not what you're going to do for me. You're not going to build the temple, Solomon is. What I'm going to do for you is that I'm going to make sure the king is established from your throne forever. It's the Messiah. And David says, who am I? Who am I? Who are my people that you should bless me like that? Do you... Do you have that sense of, of wonder that in this great, vast universe where you can't even be seen from the far reaches of the universe, that God cares for you and loves you and he set his love on you and you are a significant creature of God? Never lose that sense of wonder. 
We are not an entitled people, are we? God in his mercy did not give us what we deserve, and that's his judgment. But in his grace, he gave us what we don't deserve, and that is all the riches of heaven are ours. Never lose your sense of wonder. Second word is humility. Whatever we are and have is a gift of grace. And notice we are not made a little higher than the, than the uh, animals. The Lord does not need to remind us that, that we are not as high as we uh, ought to be. We are made a little lower than the angels. So keep your perspective. Um, there is only one God, and you are not him. The third word is dignity. Dignity. Every person has created dignity. Every one of us is the crown of his creation. We are made a little lower than the angels. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis um, who said, when you look at another human being, you will be tempted to fall at on your knees and worship creature made in the image of God. Now, I think that's hyperbole, obviously, but you see what he's saying. There's something about people that's different than any other part of creation. So that person sitting next to you in the pew, give him a jab, tell him he's made a little lower than the angels. That baby of yours you call him a little angel, you're almost right. He's a little lower than the angels. And that person in the church that's maybe not easy to get along with, and you're praying for them, you need to be reminded again, they are made a little lower than the angels. That uh, politician that you're complaining about, like I did in the car this morning and my wife reminded me to stop it. Made a little lower than the angels. Hmm? And the last word is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who wore the crown of thorns and the crown of glory for us. He came to free all those who were held under the fear of death by a wicked enemy who Jesus Christ has come to destroy and he has saved us and he has delivered us and he has given us forgiveness and he holds out to us eternal life through faith in him. Hallelujah. He's come to bring back the lost glory of his crown of creation and we thank him and we pray together. Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Convict us by these words. Lord, our identity is not to be found in any other place, but as your creatures, whom you have placed in this world. We pray, O oh God, that we would have a great sense of your majesty 
and thank you that we would never lose the sense of awe, the sense of wonder, and the sense of, of thanksgiving and humility for who you are and what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name.